Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 171. You know what that means? This is Coronacast, week 100. What in the world does that mean, and why am I talking about something that we don't want to talk about anymore? Well, for the simple reason that I realized today as I was kind of doing some website maintenance here and there, that 100 weeks ago, on March 20th, 2020, I recorded a podcast called Coronacast Week 1. That was March 20th, and so that would have been right at the very beginning of the pandemic in 2020, and I called that Chronicast Week One. They did a couple other ones afterwards, and, I, and I probably I, I didn't go back and listen to them, but I, I think it was kind of me saying, "All right, how, how's this going to affect fly fishing? How's this going to affect writing about fly fishing and podcasting about fly fishing?" But that was uh, 100 weeks ago, and uh, so today I'm, I'm not going to talk about the the virus a lot. I'm not going to talk about the way that our country and our states and our municipalities have handled. The pandemic. Not going to talk about the virus, the vaccine. Not going to talk about masks, any of that sort of stuff. Uh, I've got opinions on all of it, and uh, I think that they're pretty good opinions, to be honest with you. But uh, that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, I, I want to talk about just kind of a, a little bit of a retrospect of maybe what's happened in fly fishing over the last 100 weeks. Um, I'm not sure exactly when a state of emergency or whatever it was was declared, but for all intents and purposes, it's been about two years. It's been about 100 weeks. So I'm going to look back and talk a little bit about my observations and really paint it in a positive light. There are very good things that have happened in the last 100 weeks uh, in, in environmental causes, in fly fishing, both just kind of culture-wide, as well as personally. And I don't say any of this to diminish any pain, suffering, or loss that you may have experienced. Um, that, that's very real. That is something that I want to acknowledge, that there are many 
who have gone through this unscathed, but there are also um, many who, who have had a very, very difficult time, either personally or because of somebody that they that they uh, love. So I, I don't want to downplay that, and I don't want to, to diminish it just because we're kind of getting to a good place, it looks like, in, in after a long two-year journey. I also wanted to mention that uh, I've had it. I had uh, what was probably the Delta variant, just based on the symptoms, and we had a really good go of it. And I don't say that in a sort of prideful way. It was only by grace that we made it through as well as we did. But uh, I'm thankful that it didn't really hit my family and me very hard, that I was really only in bed for about a day and then just kind of lethargic for a couple of days. And what it did do and this is kind of a microcosm of, of the, the last two years, is it forced me to slow down. I got so much good reading done. My family and I played some board games. We did a puzzle. We did the Costco puzzle. If you have a Costco membership, then you need to get the Costco puzzle um, that they have there. It's a really good puzzle, but it's a puzzle of Costco. for nine. I think it was $9. But we did that when we were in a little uh, um, state-imposed exile. And all that to say, it was a a good 10 days. That's when I got it was when the CDC dropped the recommendation for 10 days of quarantine. Actually, no, it's five days of quarantines. Yeah, five days of quarantine and then five days with the mask on, I think is what 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 happened when I was there. It's kind of hard to keep track of this stuff. But all I'd say, that was good in a lot of ways. It was not good that I was sick. It was not good that my family was sick, but there was good things that came from it. And it's important that we think in categories like that. And that's a lot of what I wanted to look at over these next kind of 15 minutes. We think in categories. We, we are not, again, diminishing someone's discomfort, someone's death, because we talk about something good that happened to us while we were fishing in these last two years. Those are two separate categories, and we need to make that distinction. And we have to have the um, the epistemological clarity, the, the, the way we think, that is to say, has to be rigorous enough and robust enough to be able to say both things at once. It's incredibly unfortunate that this is happening. But in spite of these incredible unfortunate things happening, here's good that has come of it. And if we can't do that, if we can't nuance these things out, I think that just shows shows immaturity. Now, if you, you're not there because you've been personally affected at a significant degree, then I understand. I get it. It's very hard to see past that. At the same time, for those of us who have gone through this like relatively normally, or we, we have gotten sick, or it's been uh, mostly minor inconveniences, then we need to acknowledge that even though something very, very bad happened, a lot of good things happened too. Um, and And maybe I'm getting more philosophical and, you know, you know what I do for a living. I'm a pastor. Maybe I'm getting more ministerial than, than, than you were hoping for when you tuned in, but we're getting to fishing in a few minutes. Trust me, trust me. Um, but I was doing some counseling recently and, and talked about how contrast makes the good seem better. Contrast makes the good seem better. When you've had something bad happen, you really do appreciate the good things even more. When you're told you can't go to this place, when you finally can go back to this place, you enjoy shopping, eating, pursuing outdoor pursuits even more. I, I believe that fully. Um, but again, not going to talk about why and how that happened. We're going to talk about the fact that it happened and so what happened. So two years. Think about that. What have you done from a fly fishing perspective in the last two years? How about just fishing in general, hunting, hiking, camping, kayaking? I can say that there's probably a lot of factors that, that go into it, but 
I've done more outdoor stuff in the last two years than I have for probably the preceding eight years. So what that means is that since I've had children, these last two years, I think I've been outdoors, fly fishing, fishing, hunting, kayaking, trail running, hiking, and camping more than I did in in, in any year or any two-year set in the pre- previous eight years. Uh, so we were outside a lot. Um, I remember when the pandemic first hit in March of 2020, my family and I were outside all of the time. Things were shut down. I wasn't supposed to go into work. All these things were happening. And we just went to the woods and we hiked locally. We hiked up in the mountains. We went to the beach. I fished in the surf. We fished in ponds. We went out on rivers. We got a new kayak. We just spent so much time outside, and it was great. And it was it was a wonderful uh, tension easing time when so much fear was running rampant in the culture. And I imagine that for a lot of us, fly fishing had that um, soothing kind of effect. A lot of us being outdoors was probably a way when there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear where we got outside and we, we felt safe. We, for, for all things we didn't know, we knew that if we were by ourselves in the woods, we were okay. And even if, if you are incredibly anxious or nervous about the virus, hopefully that's something that you can say. Hopefully that's something that you can acknowledge, that if you go somewhere remote and you hop out of your car, you throw your waders on and you walk into the water, that no matter how concerned you are because of the messaging you're getting from the news, from your doctor, things like that, that you're okay there. And you're able to just some spend some time either processing that experience and, the, and, 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 and those thoughts or not thinking about those experiences and those thoughts. That's, that's my hope for you, that, that if you are someone who is incredibly uh, anxious about what's, what's been going on and what's still going on, even to a much lesser degree, that uh, you have been able to have been ministered to by being out on the water. I know that's that was the case for me and for my family. We just had to keep doing stuff. We had to keep getting outside, and, and we really enjoyed it. For me, though, uh, if, you, if you've been a listener or reader for, for a few years, you know that in May, on Mother's Day of 2020, I fell out of a tree, and I totally destroyed my ankle. But even that, you know, it really slowed me down for a couple of weeks, but then we were right back at it. And fly fishing was actually great because a wading boot was the most supportive and stabilizing piece of footwear that I own. So I had an old pair of corkers where one of the um, the the um, lacing systems wasn't working right on the, on the left foot, but the right foot was totally fine. So I was able to wear this pair of, of corkers around and keep my uh, right ankle stabilized. But so much time uh, on the beach. My family loves the beach, learned so much about surf casting, about reading the water, about the tides up here in New England. I'd, I'd done it before, and I'd, I, for years I'd been fishing out there. But that summer, spring into summer into fall, spent so much time out on the beach, and it was fantastic. It was, it was again, an escape. And I think that is just indicative of how being outdoors can really be a steadying factor in our lives when we have uncertainty. For me, at that point, to be totally honest with you, I was way more concerned about my ankle, about my ability to get back running again, than I was about coronavirus. Um, Call that what you will, but that was the reality of it. But when I'm in the water 
and when it was buoyant and I got this really supportive wading boot on, it might, took my mind off of it. And I was able to just fish and I was able to just get out there and, and do what I wanted to do. And so that was great. So fast forward from uh, the the fall of 2020 to the uh, spring of 2021. And that's when you started to see things change as people were getting outdoors after that holiday season and that winter. Um, you probably saw this where you were. Our public lands were swamped with people. That I, I know that a number of, of the major national parks, as well as some of the wildlife refuges and the national forests and other different public lands, had record-setting years in 2021 because people started to realize that that was probably the safest place to be, was to be outside. But the interesting thing, and, and I can't say this with any sort of statistical certainty, but it seemed to me as if most folks were not from far away. So when I was up in, in New Hampshire, I was not seeing license plates from like Illinois or, or you know, um, Mississippi. I was seeing lots of New England license plates, maybe some New York license plates. When I was down in Virginia, the same thing. I wasn't seeing anything from out west. It was people from Kentucky and West Virginia and Maryland and Virginia and North Carolina. So I think people still weren't traveling, traveling, like capital T traveling, but they were getting out and they were getting outside. And I think that that's one of the things that we have to remember as folks who consider ourselves avid outdoors people, that uh, it is frustrating when you pull up to a parking lot and there's a lot of cars there. There was so many times uh, up in White Mountain National Forest where I'd park where I wanted to park to, to go trail running or to go fishing, and it it wasn't that the car, the parking lot was full, is that the parking lot was full and there was cars spilling out onto the secondary highways. I mean, unless I was there at like 5.30 in the morning and even then you'd show up wicked early and then the people that were camping were taking up all of the parking spaces. It was unbelievable. The same thing in Virginia. I had to wait a number of times to get into um, certain parts of the Shenandoah, but I digress. Uh, as frustrating as that can be, and I am incredibly frustrated and uh, get pretty antsy when I can tell that there's a number of other anglers at a spot that I wanted to fish. I think it's a good thing. As long as the resources are being stewarded well, as long as the governing authorities, whether it be the National Park Service or your local uh, state um, you know, forestry uh, resources, are managing things well and, and dealing with the increased crowds, I think we need to remember that's a good thing. It's good for us as as anglers that there are other people pouring uh, money as well as interest and um, awareness into the resources. Uh, but then also that as a culture, I think that's a great place to be. Uh, for people to be outside pushing themselves. I, I can remember one particular day when I was up on a trail and there were people in flip-flops and in jeans and, you know, with the, um, their purses over their shoulder and those string backpacks that I can't imagine wearing for any length of time with any amount of weight in them miles up the trail. And I thought, you know what? This is awesome. It's kind of goofy. Let's, let's be real. They don't look like they're prepared. I, hopefully they don't run into some sort of difficult situation. But isn't this awesome that they're doing this and they're not sitting in front of their phones? Now, I use my cell phone quite a bit, but one of the things that I've really thought about thinking back to the crowds that we saw in 2021 on the water and, and in the woods 
is just, you know what, this is a good thing. I, I can't be super negative about these crowds because I'm glad that people are getting outside. And hopefully that continues. Like, hopefully the National Park Service and the, um, the, the Department of the Interior and all the state agencies anticipate a lot of people um, out, out on, the, on the water and, and in the woods and are able to you know, prepare for that because I'm hoping that people go back to doing that in 2022. It's a great opportunity for you as you're talking to people who might not be super outdoorsy to you know seize the day with them you know if they've been sitting inside if if there may be somebody who's been gripped with fear you know say hey you know if, if we're gonna spend time together let's go do it outside let's experience something new together i think it's a, a great way to broach that subject now there's some other aspects of course to the last hundred weeks there's been supply chain issues Again, don't want to get political on any of this by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something that we've had to deal with with things that have been much more important than fly fishing, namely steel waterfowl shot. Am I right? But no, there's been serious supply chain issues that we've had to deal with, but it has trickled down into outdoor gear. Uh, whether things are imported or components are imported, uh, it has slowed things down. But what that's forced me to do, one, is not think about getting the next thing, even though I really enjoy doing that, not for the sake of collecting stuff, but for sharing it with people. Um, but it, it's it's forced me to look back and say, okay, well, what do I really use a lot? Do I need a new thing? Uh, what can I make do with? How can I be creative? How can I maybe walk down the outdoor aisle at Walmart or keep my eye open when I'm in Home Depot? Or uh, look at my camping gear and say, this stuff might have a function over here. And that, and that was certainly the, the case when I, when I took up duck hunting in, in 2021. Um, I'm certainly a beginner still. But looking around, I didn't, I mean, I ended up buying some decoys. But everything else, everything else that I used, the exception of decoys and calls, was stuff that I repurposed from other outdoor pursuits that I, I'm engaged in. And that was a lot of fun. Like in fly fishing now, I feel like I need to have the best that I can afford only because I feel like I'm pretty serious in it. And I, I don't feel like I, I need that because I'm, I'm some expert fly fisher, but like, this is what I do. The, you know, I was like, I got the podcast and the website and it's, it's part of my life and it's a passion. And so I, I really want to make sure I have a, kind of exactly what I need. But with this duck hunting, because I couldn't just go out and buy stuff because a lot of stuff was not on the shelves. Uh, I just looked around and said, okay, how am I going to make this work? How can I use some of my deer hunting stuff that I have a lot of? How can I use all my fly fishing things that maybe something that's old that I can repurpose? Uh, what about my camping stuff? What about my toolbox? So that was, that was really cool. So, so even though it was a disadvantage because of supply chain issues, um, it was a good opportunity for me to be flexible and to think outside the box. It was a lot of fun. I'm, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm, I'm, pumped to find some duck hunting gear on sale in the next couple months but uh it, it was totally fine got lots of ducks still have meat in the freezer from from last season and it didn't require me uh you know scrounging facebook marketplace to find secondhand duck hunting gear uh, because of, of things not being in the sporting goods store all right last thing last hundred weeks one of the hardest thing has been not being around people uh I, I've been around lots of people, but it hasn't been the, the same as it was pre-pandemic, especially within the fly fishing space. Uh, I had a regular fly tying night that we did every month. That still hasn't picked back up yet. And I'm not going to push people. I'm not going to say, hey, I know you're still a little bit uncomfortable, so but let's do it anyway, right? 
that's that's not what I think matters. Um, so so that's been kind of a bummer. Uh, obviously, last year there was no uh, fly fishing expo show circuit, with the exception of the one show down in Texas and probably some other smaller local shows. That just came back, and it was a lot of fun. Fortunately, my trip, as I mentioned, uh, down to Edison to the New Jersey show uh, was cut short because of a enormous snowstorm that came up the East Coast. But uh, there's still a couple left, and, and I'll be able to go back out and see people I haven't seen for a few years and, and uh, meet some new people. And so that's something that was a, a minus, but now it's come back. Um, and then even things like trial and limited meetings. Again, I didn't go to a lot of them only because from from where I live to get down to where my local chapter meets, it's just not super convenient, particularly with with my schedule. But when they brought Zoom in, it's not ideal, but it was good. It was a way for me to be a little bit plugged in where I hadn't been as plugged in before. So that was something that, again, as I started this podcast off with, it was a difficult situation, but it yielded some good results. And hopefully you can look back over the last two years and see that, again, with a giant caveat of maybe a loss in your life. But even there, hopefully that, as you've been moving through that process of of grief um, or or loss, if you've had a significant financial loss because because of the last uh, 100 weeks, that fly fishing is now more precious, not more precious than people not more precious than the responsibilities that you have to to continue to engage in. But you can appreciate your time out on the water, your time with your loved ones, your time doing what you want to do in a new way as some of those things have been either muted or taken away. So that's my hope. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for you know you as my listener, uh, you as the audience, and just you as part of this fly fishing community. Hopefully this podcast has not been too negative. Hopefully it has not been like me doing therapy on on in front of my microphone. But that you've been able to think of these last two years, what you have done, what you haven't done, opportunities you take advantage of, things that you you say, you know what, I, I really should should have done more. Um, because guess what, we're only a couple weeks away from spring. That is really optimistic. A couple months away from spring. And you're going to have opportunities to get out and do those things again. So that's my encouragement. Go out and do them. Even if there's extra cars there, even if you have to use gear that maybe isn't the perfect fit, even if you're going to be going out and that person that you wish could be going out with you can't, go out. Do it because it's what you maybe need to do. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you want to bounce an idea off me, please let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. I always read everything. I always get back to everybody. It might not happen right away, but I will definitely do it. So thanks for listening. Thanks for these last 100 weeks of uh, listening to me talk about fly fishing within the context of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Hopefully I have not brought it up too much because I think we're all just about done with messaging uh, about it from one way or another. But uh, I, I appreciate folks who have listened and hopefully has this has been a bit of a respite as we've gone through it and hopefully as we are nearing the end of it. This week on castingacross.com, the first article was a great article. Uh, Fish for Change, Connecting Students on the Flats. Fish for Change, Connecting Students on the Flats. So Fish for Change is a nonprofit that works to get students, high school and college age, into tropical locations and Colorado, all right, don't want to leave Colorado out, Costa Rica, Honduras, Mexico, a couple other places, 
and they go down and they learn about fishing and they fish. You might say, okay, this sounds kind of like a guided trip. And it is in the mornings. But then in the afternoons, they do projects in the communities and they do conservation projects. So there's a whole lot more to it. Now, this is like really something that I'm excited about. And I love talking to the director uh, of Fish for Change because I ran a fly fishing camp for a number of years and I've been involved in international, specifically Central American missions uh, programs uh, for, for a couple different places over the last uh, decade and even before that. So this is like the uh, synergizing a couple of my, my interests. So great stuff. Check out my article and then go to their website, check out their links and their videos. They've got a lot of resources. It's a really cool thing. And that's a lot more than just getting kids an opportunity to go fish the flats. So that was the article on Monday. Wednesday's article was kind of a gear review piece called No Shame, Tools to Hold and See Flies. No Shame, Tools to Hold and See Flies. Uh, Magnification and not tying tools might sound silly to you until you need them. Now, to be honest with you, I don't carry a knot tying tool on me. Uh, I have learned tips and tricks and ways to use my forceps and hemostats and things like that to tie some of the essential knots. But all my kids have knot tying tools in their in their sling packs, and I don't begrudge somebody for carrying them. Um, I do carry a magnifying tool. One particular one I'll talk here about here at the end of the podcast. Um, I also like threader boxes, and you don't need to be legally blind and you don't need to have significant dexterity issues in order to justify having one of these tools. Uh, If it's really cold out, if it's really windy out, it'll just save you time and trouble and they have more uses than just holding flies and putting your tiny little tippet through the eye of the fly. So uh, this is a couple of different reasons why you might want to carry these things and some examples of what you might want to carry. So no shame, tools to hold and see flies. Definitely check it out. This week's recommendation on the podcast is one of those tools, the Magnafly from the good people that make the Flytrap Pro Series. The Flytrap is like my absolute favorite bar none gadget for carrying, holding, and organizing my fly fishing tools. I've got one on every pack, but I have like my my main one that has my favorite tippet spools, my favorite tools attached to it so I can go from one pack to another pack to my waders to my pocket of my pants. It's awesome. Anyway, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Magnafly. So the Magnafly, it is a clip-on magnifying lens. 3X, it's pretty big. It's bigger than a silver dollar. And there's two really, really strong magnets at the base of it. So I have decent eyesight. That being said, there's times when I'm untangling knots or when I am doing some like fine work in tying on droppers that I say, you know what, I could use a little bit of help here. So this thing folds flush and folds out of the way. So I put it like on my waiter strap so it's high up um, or I can put it on the strap of my sling pack so it's even behind me. And then it rotates uh, and it swivels so you can position exactly where you want it, get that 3x magnification. If you have eyesight issues at all um, or not, it just is a great little help. Um, And again, totally unobtrusive, comes in at like 15 bucks and it's just a great little tool. So again, the Magnafly made by Artisan Anglers, the same folks that do the Flytrap Pro series. I will put a link to where you can find it uh, on the show notes for this page on castingcross.com. But definitely recommend checking it out, um, even if you don't think you need it. It's a good thing to have in case you do need it. 
Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.